Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor, <clears throat> excuse me, here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And uh, you're in for a treat today. We're starting a new series entitled Ruth. And inside your bulletin, you will find an outline of where I'm headed today. We're looking at the first chapter of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And to the title of today's message is Loyal Love. Because you're going to, if you've never read the book of Ruth, you'll meet who Ruth is uh, in this series. Uh, she was a woman who demonstrated loyal love at a time when everybody else was pretty much living for themselves. And today, we're gonna, you're going to get an introduction to Ruth and the times in which she lived. And uh, the times in which she lived were times when everybody was pretty much doing what was right in their own eyes. And so this morning, as we look at a story that ha- occurred about 1,200 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, um, I want to remind us that the Bible, the truths in this book, are timeless it is hilarious to me that sometimes people tell me, they go, well, the Bible is just a bunch of old documents. They really don't apply to us today. Yeah, can you imagine a book about a woman who stood for character and stood for what was right and had loyal love in a time when everybody else was selfish and self-seeking? I mean, how would that relate to us today? Um, well, like every day. And so if you want to have a word of encouragement from God, you're in for a real treat because you will be greatly encouraged as we look at the life of a a woman who was demonstrating loyal love when everybody else was pretty much thinking of themselves. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you that your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. I thank you for the life of Ruth. Look forward to meeting her in heaven one day. And Heavenly Father, I just ask that today you would help me explain her story so we can understand a little bit about the situations she faced and how she responded to them. And then help us be like her. I pray that you'll move me out of the way and teach us some things we need to know about being people of loyal love like Ruth. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. You'll notice a number of fill-in-the-blank items. There are some ushers coming up down the aisles right now. They'll bring you a pen or they'll pass a pen to you if you raise your hand if you'd like to take some notes and fill in the blanks. So point one, let's jump right in. Ruth's story happened long ago, 1,200 years before Christ was born, approximately there, but there are many similarities to our day. First of all, Ruth lived in a time of moral decline. Moral decline, idolatry, and anarchy. How do I know that? Because Ruth 1.1 says this, In the days in which the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. It was the days of the judges. That's the Old Testament book of Judges. After the children of Israel had come out of, the promise, uh, come out of Egypt and headed toward the promised land, after a 40-year detour because of their unfaithfulness, they finally made it there. Joshua led the men, they conquered the land, they divided up the land among the tribes, and for a generation or so, they were faithful. But then little by little, like an infection in a wound, sin set in. And the people stopped worshiping the true God and began worshiping the gods of the people around them, and their hearts turned cold toward the very God who'd brought them to the promised land. And in those days when Israel had no king, so by the end of the book of Judges, here's what it says, In those days, Israel had no king, so the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. My goodness, does that apply to us today? We live in a day, too, where people tell you, hey, look, I don't care what the Bible says about lying or stealing or adultery or marriage or anything like this. I don't care. I want what's best for me. What's in it for me? If it makes me feel good, just rip out the pages. I'm going to live my own life, and there's nothing you can tell me about it. I'm going to do what's right in my eyes. 
And if that frightens you, because it could seem like it could tear a society asunder, if it seems like it could lead to great pain and suffering, well, you're right. And that's what was going on in the days of Ruth. In fact, Ruth also lived, that brings us to point B, in a time of painful consequences. See, when God had uh, led the children of Israel through his servant Moses out of Egypt to the promised land, he had told them over and over again, here's the deal. I'm your God and you're my people. I've chosen you. I'm going to lead you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, a land of prosperity. I want you to live there. I want you to dwell there. And I want you to be my people. God had strategically placed Israel at a place where the major kingdoms of the time would have to, if they were going to do commerce or even trade with each other in any way, have any kind of communication, they always would have to end up going through Israel. And God had placed his people right at that major intersection in the land of Israel. And he said, if you'll be my people, I will bless you with bountiful rain. I will protect you from your enemies. And when all these visitors come through, they're going to ask you, how is it you have bumper crops all the time? How is it you have protection from your enemies? How do you have all this blessing? And you could say, it's because we worship the God, the true God, the maker of heaven and earth, not a dumb little statue or an idol. We serve the real God. And he is doing this for us. And that was God's intention. So the whole world would know there is a true God in Israel. But instead of the people being faithful to him, they turned their backs on him. Now Moses had warned them of the painful consequences they would experience if they did so. This is in Deuteronomy 11. Before they went into the promised land, right when they're on the border, Moses said, I want to remind you of something. If you love the Lord your God and you serve him with all your heart and soul, then he will send rains in their proper seasons. He'll give you lush pasture land for your livestock and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. But be careful. Don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. If you do, then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the sky, hold back the rain, and the ground will fail to bruise its harvest. And then you will quickly die in that good land that the Lord is giving you. And the people all said, oh, no, we'll never do that, Moses. We will always be faithful to God. They knew the terms. They knew the agreement. They would be God's people. He would be their God. They would depend on him. He would protect them and provide for them. But once they got in the land, they forgot all about him. There's a life application for you and me in this. We will reap what we sow too. There's a law of reaping and sowing. Don't be misled, Paul wrote to the Galatians. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. You'll always reap what you sow. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. There's a fun quote from George Allen on the back of your outline. It's part of one of the Connect Group discussion questions. He said this a number of years ago. Most of us spend the first six days of each week sowing wild oats. Then we go to church on Sunday and pray for a crop failure. And that's exactly right. Oh God, I want to live my own life. I want to do what's right in my eyes. I could care less what the Bible says. I want all this, but then when I get sick, oh God, heal me. Even if it's consequences from what I've consumed in my own, by my own hand, through my own mouth, oh God, heal me, protect me from the stupid choice that I voluntarily made knowing it was wrong. And if it's wrong, I'm not going to give you glory on the front end. I'm going to give you blame on the back end. But you got to help me, Lord. And over and over again, we're warned in Scripture, the Lord gives us his word not to be a burden to us, but to protect us. 
to help us. God is not trying to be a super cosmic killjoy to ruin all of our fun. He's trying to give us life everlasting and a rich and meaningful life in this world. So Ruth lived in a time of moral decline. She lived in a time of painful consequences because there was a famine in the land and then the promised land. And she also lived in a time when people were willing to compromise their convictions in order to get by. Here's how the story continues. There was a man from Bethlehem in Judah, the same town where Jesus would later be born, you know, 1,200 years later or so. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. Now, unless you study Bible maps a lot, which I assume most of us did not just before we came in here. Oh, yeah, John, I was reading through my Bible maps last night. Um, probably weren't. Israel would be located here, Jordan River, Dead Sea, down at the bottom. On the other side of the Dead Sea would be Moab. When Israel had come up from Egypt, the Promised Land, they tried to pass through Moab. They offered to pay for anything they ate. They didn't want to be any trouble to the Moabites as they passed through on their way to the Promised Land where God was leading them. But the king of Moab would have none of it. In fact, he wanted... The Israelites destroyed. He was afraid of this nation that was moving up here. Even though he had his own kingdom, he was afraid of what they, how powerful they might become. So he even went, and there's an interesting story in the Old Testament. of a, He went and found some old sorcerer by the name of Balaam. And he contracted Balaam's help for a huge sum of money. He said, I want you to come and put a hex on these people as they pass through my land. And he went and took them to the top of a mountain where he could put a curse on the people. And when Balaam got there, the Lord warned him and said, you only say what I tell you to say. And so instead of curses coming out of his mouth, blessings came. And the king of Moab was angry. He said, I paid you all this money to put a curse on him, and you blessed him. And he took him to another place. Maybe, maybe you can curse him from this place. And he had to bless him again. And he said, well, this was worthless. I wasted all this money on this, and now these people are just fine. But um, Balaam was a shrewd old guy. He said, look, you know, I'm not going to be able to say anything but blessings on these people because that's what God wants. But I can tell you one way to get their God angry at them. Their God is a holy God and he believes in purity. What you need to do is get their people to commit all kinds of sins of sexual immorality. And so the king of Moab went and got some loose women to infiltrate the camp and got the men of Israel to start to sleep with the Moabite women. And that got God very angry at them. And he sent a punishment on his own people. And it made God super angry at the Moabites because they were so deceptive and so evil. Turning God's own people against him. And he said, I don't want you to have anything to do with these people. And so the people of Israel knew that they knew the story about the Moabites. But now came a time of famine in the days of Ruth when the sky was shut up and there was no rain because the people were doing what was right in their own eyes and weren't living by God's word. And instead of the people falling on their knees, or in this case in this one family of a man named Elimelech, instead of him repenting and leading the people in repentance, he went and took his family and moved to Moab. Now, what's interesting is the man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. In the margin, if you'd write these words, 
God is my king. That's what Elimelech means. So here you got a guy lives in God's promised land. His name is God is my king. I mean, we choose names just because they sound good or maybe they remind us of an athlete or a Hollywood starlet or something or a great singer or we just like the way a name sounds. But the people in Israel, they chose names for meaning. And Elimelech's parents said, we want this man to grow up to be a guy who says, God is my king. So God is my king. Instead of leading his family in repentance, when the going got tough, Elimelech got going to Moab. And he probably would have said something like this. Look, it's just a business decision. I know the whole history of the Moabites, and I know how God told us not to have anything to do with them, but come on, there's a famine here. I got mouths to feed. I'm moving. I mean, I know it's not quite right, but it's just a business decision. I mean, can you imagine living in a culture like that? Hey, I know that's not quite right. I know this relationship. I really shouldn't be involved in it, but this is a business decision. I got to think with the bottom line here, okay? Religion's for Sundays. This is Thursday. I need to think about the bottom line. If you can relate to that, you can relate to the times in which Ruth lived. So Elimelech and Naomi moved there and settled there. If you go down to point 2A below that, while living in Moab, Naomi lost her husband, her sons, and her hope for the future. The story gets interesting. There's a twist in the plot. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. And the two sons married Moabite women. Okay, they didn't just settle there. They just got into the culture. One married, one, one married a woman named Orpah Winfrey. Okay, well, y'all were thinking it anyway. I might as well just say it. Okay. Oh, I was thinking that. How did he know? Okay. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other married a woman named Ruth. And now we meet Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion, that's the name of the two sons, they both died. This left, left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now, to us, we go, wow, that's a tragedy, but it wouldn't be that awful. I mean, you could still go on with your life. But in these days, you have to remember, women did not have equal rights with men at all. They couldn't run a business. They needed a man in their lives to protect them and give them any sort of security. And they were living in a day when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And Naomi had moved away from her people along with her husband Elimelech. Now she was living in the land of Moab. If there was an uncle or a cousin or a friend who was going to look out for her, they weren't in Moab. And so she was in a bad place. There was no social security. There was no man to look out for her down here in this part of the country. And so she needed to get out of there. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed her people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And if you'd underline, to return to her homeland. If you'd underline it, I want to use it as a place marker because I didn't do this outline exactly right. So if you would flip the page now, right after you underline that, and you go to the life application that's at the top of page two there. Naomi was returning to her homeland, and the life application is this. Returning to God is always a good idea. When you find yourself far away from the people of God 
and compromising on the things of God and all of a sudden it comes to your attention, hey, I'm going to be in real trouble if I don't return to God. Return. If you're driving through Atlanta late at night and you miss the airport exit and you take the next one and it leads you into a part of town that you're not sure of and it's dark, do not keep driving. But you'd be amazed at how many people this is their logic in life. Hey, I got into a bad relationship. Hey, I compromised my values. I'll just keep going. I'm sure it'll work out better in the long run. If I keep lying, if I keep kidding myself, if I keep whatever it is. Look, the devil can get us off onto a wrong turn. All he wants to make sure we do is keep going. And it's always a good idea to return. Turn around, come back. Ever since the days of your ancestors, this is God speaking, Malachi 3, 7. Ever since the days of your your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees, you have failed to obey them, now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I want you to hear this as clearly as I can say this this morning. If you are far away from God and somehow you got here this morning and you've been dealing with all kinds of consequences from one bad decision after another, one bad relationship after another, and you're far away from God, come back. Come home. God will welcome you back. He says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. Jesus told a story of a son who ran away and denied his father. And the Bible, in the story that Jesus told, he said the father was longing for that son to come back. And when the son one day did return, the father ran out to meet him. And he says, that's the way God's love is for us when we're sinful. God isn't waiting to slap us down and send us to hell. God is waiting for us to come home and find forgiveness and return to him. And if you have been far away from God for a long time, today would be a great day to come back. He'll forgive you no matter what you've done. He loves you no matter who you are. And that's why all the stories about Jesus, how he came to rescue us from our sins, are called gospels, which means good news. If it's good news to you this morning that God forgives us and God loves us in spite of our sin, would you say amen? Amen. Good news. And so Naomi realized, wow, God's sending crops again in Israel. People must have repented. God's favor must be returning. If I'm going to have anybody who's going to help me at all, there might be a chance I'm going home. Now, if you flip back to page one again, I feel like I'm in a weekly reader thing here or something like that. okay. Now, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Uh, Ruth and Orpah were going to need marriages too to find security. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went and started a TV show. But Ruth, clung, uh, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Orpah left and Ruth clung. And you might be going, well, why is she trying to get rid of her daughters-in-law? I mean, if she's in that desperate of a situation, wouldn't it be better to stick together? Well, now flip back over to the second page again. We'll stay there this time. Here's an important note. Moabite women were viewed as women of ill repute. I told you the story about the curse on the people and all that. Well, here's how Numbers 25 recounts this. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia, some of the men defiled themselves by sleeping with the local Moabite women. You know, that the king had sent in. 
And these women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. And soon the Israelites were feasting with them and worshiping the gods of Moab, gods named Baal and Ashtoreth. And the way you worship these gods of fertility was through ritual prostitution, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people, which is exactly what Naaman had said would happen, or Balaam had said would happen. And so Naomi is telling her daughters-in-law, look, y'all are young. You got a chance to get remarried and find security with another husband. Go back to your mom's homes and do that. If you come back with me with Judah, you're going to be considered a woman of ill repute. And that's just the nicest way I can put it. Trash. If you come back with me to Bethlehem, everybody's going to be talking. So you might as well stay here. Now, what's interesting is if you go to point B, all of a sudden there's a huge shock because Ruth, this woman from Moab, Orpah went back, Ruth stayed with her. Ruth all of a sudden stands out in the story as a woman of Hesed. She is a woman who demonstrates loyal love. I don't normally teach old ancient Hebrew or Greek words, the original languages in which the Bible is written, but this word is used of God's love It's also used of Ruth's love throughout this book. And during this series, we're going to refer to this again. And so she was a woman of H-E-S-E-D, is how you'd write it in English, Hesed. Would you say that with me? Hesed. One more time. Hesed. It means loyal love. It means love that I love you because I love you. It's the love you feel for your children who drive you crazy at times, but you love them anyway. Wow, I'm the only one? Everybody's looking at me, what do you speak of? My children, I love them all the time. They are perfect. Okay, it's what you, when you love your kids, even if they drive you nuts. It's when you make a commitment to your spouse and you meet people who've been married 65 years and you say, how'd you make it through? Well, when we made our marriage vows, we said, we're, gonna, we're in it together no matter what happens. And we didn't ever, and we burned the ships. Loyal love, no prenup. I'm not going back. And Ruth made this a big deal. So here's how she replied to her mother-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And to the original audience who was reading this story, A long time ago, this would have been the shocker of shockers. Elimelech, God is my king. Well, as long as the climate's right. But if it turns to be a famine, I'm headed over to Moab. Not a guy of loyal love, even though his pedigree and his name says God is my king. All of a sudden, out of the blue, here's this Moabite girl a woman considered of ill repute, her mother-in-law's in in desperate straits. She's headed back to Judah, to Bethlehem. And here it is, Ruth is a woman of Hesed. Wow. Somebody's standing for what's right when everybody else was doing what was right in their own eyes. 
I mean, you can't fault Elimelech. He's just looking out for what's best for his family. You can't fault Orpah. She's just, I mean, her mother-in-law told her to go. You can't fault Naomi. She's just saying, hey, look out for yourself. It's everybody for themselves now. But here's Ruth going, no, I don't play that way. I'm with you to the end. And if we starve to death going back to Judah, then we'll starve to death together. Now, you know why this passage is requested. A lot of people request me to read this at their weddings because it's a statement of loyal love. Do you know that God is looking for people like that? And that's the life application. God is always looking for people who will talk that way, people who are faithful during sinful times. God's always looking for faithful people during sinful times. Can we put that slide up on there? The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I mean, God will strengthen us if we're willing to be this way. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about how important it was to God that people stand for what's right in sinful times, he said, you are the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know what God wants in our sinful times when everybody else is doing what's right in their own eyes? God's looking for Christians, for men and women who will be people of loyal love. People that are jumping out of their marriages at the first sign of difficulty. Hey, this is a little harder than I thought. Well, where are the Christians? People who are punting their family. Hey, I hurt my, they hurt my feelings. I'm not going back anymore. I'm just looking out for me. People going, no, I'm not going to give up on my family. I'm going to take whatever initiative I need to do to work through the conflict. I'm loyal. That just seems to be hard to find. What was really hard to find in Ruth's day, and yet Ruth was just that person. I mean, that's why you have a book of the Bible named after her. I mean, that's pretty amazing. We're going to meet her in heaven one day. Hey, you're Ruth. Wow, you had a book of the Bible named after you. Who are you? I'm John Schmidt, and I didn't really have anything named after me. But anyway, I mean, this is why she got all this recognition. She didn't have to do any of that, but she did. And God says, I will honor people like that even if they come from the wrong side of the tracks or the wrong side of the river or whatever it was in those days. Now, just as Ruth stepped up to the plate and the tough times brought out the best in her character, well, the tough times brought out the worst in Naomi's character because point C, Naomi, on the other hand, gave up on God and became bitter. So the two of them continued on their journey And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was stirred by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, the women asked? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. You can write in the margin, Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Well, John, how do you know she turned bitter? Well, she changed her name to bitter. That was my first clue. Okay, then also these are the words that came out of her mouth. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why should you call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy? 
So I'm blaming God about this, for this, for all the bad things that have happened in my life, regardless of the decisions I made, and I'm bitter. In fact, just call me bitter. Now, if you have a friend who changes her name from Joy to Cruella DeVille, you should be concerned, okay? She became bitter. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman, in case you forgot where she came from, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. God sent me away full, and I came back empty. No offense, Ruth. Moabite chick. I mean, she didn't think anything of Ruth. And that brings us to a couple important points I want you to note. Bitterness can blind us to God's plans and provisions. Bitterness can blind us to God's plans and provisions. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. If you and I allow past bad circumstances to control us, Every sunny day can turn out to be a rainy, gray day. Every great opportunity to be with friends can become an opportunity to complain and bring everybody else down. You get around people who've allowed that root of bitterness to grow up in their lives, and that's what it's like. They're always finding something wrong with everything, always finding a negative twist, always speculating about motives, always dragging everybody else down. Because I'm bitter and it wasn't fair and I'm going to be angry. And if you're around me, I'm going to drag you down too. Call me Mara. I'm going to be bitter the rest of my life and you're going to like it. And God doesn't want us to look that way. You know what's so crazy is she was going back where there were God was sending his blessings again. It was a barley harvest, the springtime of the year. She had with her a woman who was doing what was right when nobody else was, and Naomi couldn't even see it because bitterness had grown up in her. And it's real important for us to take stock of where we are. Am I more like Ruth, where I'm going to use hard times as a platform from which to launch higher, or am I going to be like Naomi and tumble off into bitterness? Well, how would I know? How would I do a self-diagnostic? Well, here's a simple self-diagnostic for all of us. Some of you have seen me do this before. You'll stick around long enough, you'll see me do it again. One of the things the Lord regularly challenges me with is he allows me to evaluate myself through a simple test. I went and put some liquid in this cup at the refreshment station out there earlier today. And at that station, you can get coffee or juice or water or all kinds of stuff out there. And right now, from where you're sitting, none of you knows what's in this cup. You don't. You can't tell. But there's an easy way to find out. Here's how you do it. You bump it. Oh, it's water, which only ruined one speaker. Okay, but uh, the idea is that it's just clean water. But if it had been coffee when I bumped it, that's what would have come out. See, whenever you bump the cup, whatever's in the cup is what comes out. Jesus put it this way. You want to know what's in your heart? Get bumped. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, when you get a pay cut, when a relationship goes south, when somebody posts an awful thing about you on Facebook, the next thing that comes out of your mouth is the real you. Like it or not, that's the way it is. That is the real you. It's the real me. You want to do a self-diagnostic or whether you're more like Naomi or Ruth? Well, they both went through a hard time. Both of them lost their husbands. Naomi 
Black tar. Bitterness. Ruth, pure spring water. Now, if you and I evaluate ourselves, this is a great time to do it right here on Sunday morning. If you and I, if somebody cut you off in traffic just last week and blankety blank blank came out of your mouth, you went, whoa, I can't believe I said that. Well, God did you a favor because he showed you there's, some, there's something in your heart that needs to be dealt with. You got a bad diagnosis or things aren't going well at work or you got relationship problems and bitterness is what keeps coming out of your mouth. God's doing you a favor. You're going to need to deal with that. Ruth and Naomi both went through the same thing, but Ruth, she chose to honor the Lord. The bumping just revealed what was in the cup. I mean, that's why we come to God. We come to God. Coming to God doesn't mean you'll never have problems in your life. Coming to God means I got somebody who's going to help me through the problems in my life. And if I've got junk and crud in my heart, well, that's why I come to Jesus. So he'll forgive me and clean it out and fill it, in, fill it up with something new. Again, if that's good news, would you say amen? amen? That's why we come. And there's this crazy thinking that if I follow Jesus, then I'll never have a problem again. Nothing doing. In fact, some of the problems that come are simply because God's wanting to show us, hey, you still got some more growing to do here. And that's why James says, hey, you ought to thank God and rejoice when trials come. That'll help perfect you. Now you know what you need to work on. Which is what my wife has been telling me for years, but that's another subject. Anyway, last life application. We must never give up on God. Naomi gave up on God, but God didn't give up on Naomi. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord doesn't see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Put your name in there. Oh, John, how can you say the Lord doesn't see your troubles? Oh, John, how can you say God ignores your rights? Put your name in there. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Wow. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. And the reason we come to God is because he can do things we can't do. And Naomi had forgotten that. And here was the time of the barley harvest, and she couldn't even see it. What if God has blessings for you and me right around the corner? But what if you and I are still so bitter about what happened five years ago that we're not willing to let go of those things and experience what God has for us today? Well, what God wants us to do, he wants us to surrender everything to him. He wants us to remember what he did for us and surrender our lives completely to him. So to wrap up our service today, we thought this would be a perfect day for us to take Holy Communion together, the Lord's Supper, because that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. To remember what God did for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross, to forgive our sins, to make us clean, and to surrender our lives to him so he can empower us to become the people he wants us to be. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together for a special meal, the Passover meal. He broke a loaf of bread in their presence, and he passed the loaf around. He said, hey, I want you to take and eat of this. And so they each took some of the bread, and they ate of it. He said, this is my body broken for you. The next day, he was going to die on the cross. They were going to see him hanging on the cross. I'm paying the penalty for your sins. All the crud and junk in your heart, I'm paying the penalty for all that. 
Remember me. As often as you do this, give thanks. When the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he passed it among the disciples just like he'd passed the bread and said, why don't you drink of this? So they took the cup and they each drank and they passed it around. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Washes away the sins of the world. Remember me. As often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, remember me. Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive me of my sins. His blood was shed, washed away all my filth, cleaned out the cup and made me new. Not only that, but he says, if you trust me, he said, when I return to my father, I will ask the father to send the Holy Spirit upon you. He will fill you. He will be in you and he'll give you the power to become people you only dreamed of being. People of loyal love. And so to come to Christ is to say, God, I need your loyal love for me. And God, I need you to come into me and change me and make me a person of loyal love like you. I eat physical food and drink physical drink to give my physical body strength. This is a spiritual meal to give my soul strength. To remind me that I'm made new through Christ Jesus. So this morning, we're going to wrap up our service today by observing Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. There are tables in the front of the room and also out in the hallway because the room's pretty full of chairs right now. And so the tables are all the same. They're small pieces of bread and small cups of juice. And our worship team's going to come forward and they're going to lead us in some singing. And as they do that, I'd ask you, if you'd like to participate in this meal, to go to one of the tables in the hallway or one of the tables up front here, pick up the bread and the cup, and then return to your seat. It only takes a couple of minutes. And after everyone has done this, then I'm going to have a few words for us and we'll eat the meal together and we'll close our service. I'm going to pray for us and ask God to speak to us through this. But this is our chance to remember who he is and who we are and why we need him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just, uh, when I read the story of Ruth, I understand that there was a righteous woman, a woman of loyal love that showed up in a time when everybody else was selfish. And she stood out like a candle in the dark. And Father, I, I, want, I want to be a person like that. But Lord, I can't do that on my own. You're going to have to change me. You've got to get rid of all the crud that's in my heart. You're going to have to wash my sins away. And God, I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me new. Lord, I need you to show your loyal love to me. And then, Lord, I want you to empower me so I can show your loyal love to others. In a moment of silence this morning, if you want God to clean out your heart and get rid of all the black tar and replace it with pure water, just say, God, I'm, I confess my sins to you. I'm a sinner. I know it. You know it. There's no hiding it. And God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to make me new. And God, I'm never going to be able to show people loyal love unless, well, unless you give me the strength to do so. So empower me and fill me with your Holy Spirit so when I get bumped, words of kindness and grace will come out instead of words of anger and bitterness. I want to be like Ruth, not Mara. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross, who rose again on the third day, 
who ascended into heaven and who's coming back soon. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who fills us and completes us. Oh God, I pray that as we take this meal together, you will be honored and we will never forget what you've done for us. It's in the wonderful name of Christ that I pray. Amen.